and it is so good to be with you in the presence of God and, and, and the time of singing already and the time of prayer that we've already experienced. And, and I have no doubt, I shared this last week, and I want to say it again, that whether you're a skeptic, a seeker, or a sojourner in following Jesus Christ, I have no doubt God is here. And God wants to speak to each and every one of us. God wants to meet us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Can I get an amen to that? I get made fun of for asking amens, but it's, it's, it's worth asking every now and then. And, and I also want to, as we continue in worship, I just want to say a shout out and thank each of you that have invited a friend to join with you today. And thank you, those of you that are joining with us for the first time. We hope that you know that you're always welcome here at the Way Woodstock, where we seek to glorify God and make disciples of Jesus by sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. That's what we're all about, isn't it? Now, we continue in this series on, in Lent, Wounds That Heal. You saw the video, and, and, and if you were here last week, hopefully you were touched uh, profoundly by Sylvia sharing a part of her story about how her wounds have been healed by Christ Jesus. And, and if you recall from last week, we were, we were reminded that some 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah foretold the significance of his suffering for us, that he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, Isaiah says. And then he ends by saying, by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. Because if we're honest, if we're willing to be vulnerable, we're all walking around with hurts. Some have healed over, some have calloused over, some we have stuffed down and we, we don't even acknowledge they exist, but they are there nonetheless. And the reality is, is that God, through Jesus Christ, wants to touch those wounds and to heal those wounds and to restore us into the joy of living in the way that God desired, God created, God wants to offer us. And so as we continue in this series in Lent, I want to invite another person to come share with you. I'm going to invite Matt Downing to come up here. And, and, and many of you, there may be a new face to you, but not a new face to the guys on uh, Saturday morning. Uh, we have the Bros Brew and, and Bible Crew, and, and Brews is coffee, by the way, on Saturday morning. And um, Matt is someone, I've known him and Christopher a number of years. We served together in another church before. Um, but Matt's also been a part of our Saturday morning group uh, for a better part of two years. And um, let me tell you, this guy has the love of Jesus in him. And um, he has a story too. We all do. And so as we continue today, I'm going to invite Matt to join me up here and just share a little bit of his story of from hurt to healing and how Jesus has been moving in his life. And so Matt, would you just, I, I want to say thank you first for joining us this morning. And um, thank you for sharing earlier hour and Thank you for doing it again here, and uh, there's a number of people you may recognize at this hour. Um, but would you open up and share a little bit of, of your story with us? Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's diff- always difficult, you know, opening up to in, in smaller groups or to individuals, but in a group setting, it's extremely difficult. <laughs> but uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So... When I was when I was born, I was it was I was different. I had my feet were pigeon toed so bad that I had to wear braces on my legs from when I was four to seven, four to eight, and uh, was overweight, 
going through elementary school, kindergarten. I uh, went to a Catholic school, parochial school, so I didn't know God. Hmm. But it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a different relationship than what I have with them today. Um, through that experience, of, I, I never felt the same uh, as everyone else. I couldn't run, I couldn't walk uh, like everybody else. And obviously, you know, it did the trick, but the, the braces had shoes on them and they clanked and it went around my waist and I'll never forget it. Um, I walked through that and then after, right after I got the braces off my legs, there was, um, there was a neighbor boy that lived two houses down from me that, uh, that ended up molesting me and I couldn't get away from him because uh, the buses ran and, and, and he went to a different school, public school, and would always beat me home and afterwards, you know, that's when that would happen. He would beat me up, and, and then he would molest me. And that happened for a couple of few years. Um, I would get in trouble when I went home because I was late. And uh, there I would get a spanking. <laughs> and, you know, the, the abuse for being overweight, there was comments made from my parents, my aunts and uncles. Um, you know, but how do you, you know, how do you, how do you even open up to share that with your parents, you know? Uh, um, looking back on it, I wish I would have. Hmm. You know, and speaking with them about it in recent years, they they wished I would have. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable because I was already getting made fun of there too as well. Um, you know, shortly after uh, after all that transpired through, you know, I always sought my validation through performance. Hmm. You know, I would cover it <laughs> up by, you know, doing things at home and performing for my parents. And I would bury it so deep that it didn't exist to me. And, uh... Savvy. So walking through that, um, you know, I, I went into high school, you know, through, through elementary school and high school, I was an altar boy. So I sought that validation from my parents. They, they always, they, my mom was adamant, you know, and she loved the fact that I was there every Saturday. And I, so I did that all the way through high school when most people quit in eighth grade. Well, I would get, I got made fun of for that, but my validation at home was more important. And I always put on a, a face of, you know, everything was fine. And through all of this um, that I just disclosed, you know, everything, I put on a facade. I buried it so deep, I put a smile on my face and I walked forward. Um, you know, I, I went out, played on the golf team in high school and sought validation there. Um, after that, you know, I started working. I worked, I worked two jobs. I started out working one. I started out working when I was 14, more validation uh, from my parents in their KFC stores. And, uh, you know, they, they loved the fact that I was growing up in the family business and things of that nature. So, you know, but they, all this whole time, they, they didn't know anything about what was going on. I got bullied from a guy, another, another kid up the street. He would always beat me up, separate from the other one. 
it was, it was, it was uh, looking back on it, you know, I, I, it didn't exist because that's how deep it was. Yeah. Um, so I graduated high school. The next thing you know, I'm working. I'm working two jobs. Um, I have two beautiful children um, <laughs> through, you know, their mother. Uh, we were together for about 10 years. Uh, started using drugs. I started using drugs to pick me up, to give me energy, and also to give me comfort because I would lose weight. So, you know, it was a win-win for me. For, so I thought, so here's the world saying, okay, you know, looking back on it. And it was not the answer. Yeah. You know, and I'll back up to eighth grade, picked on again. Everybody's asking eighth grade, hey, what do you want to be? You know, I put a priest, everybody else is putting doctors. I got picked on for that. Um, made fun of for that severely, severely over the years. And um, so I'm working the two jobs and, and, I'm, and, and I'm doing, and then the drugs down spiraled, it got out of control. Um, I ended up losing my home, ended up my, my children, uh, went to live with my parents and my brother. Uh, I ended up on the streets for a few years. Um, it's a hard one scene. day, enough was enough. After about three or four years on the streets, I was in an abandoned home in Corden, Indiana, with the mother of my two kids. Um, she was using as well this whole time. And uh, I remember, I'll never forget the moment that I absolutely surrendered because I knew of, of God of Jesus I surrendered I, the sun was coming through my fa- through the window and it was cold it was in the winter time it was January 3rd uh, 2008 hmm. and I fell on my fa- I fell on my knees and tears would come came and I said God I can't do it anymore I don't want to do it anymore my own all the pain, everything that the world said, you know, all the fixes that I tried to do, all the covering up I did, it was over that day. <laughs> I surrendered. I came to Atlanta to a place called Genesis Ministries. Yeah. I poured a, uh, my heart out on a two-page entrance letter, and they accepted me. And I'll never forget the day that I left. My mom, I was at the door. My mom wouldn't let me come in, let alone on the property. My dad said, come over. We've got a one, one-way Greyhound bus ticket. My mom met me at the door, and she slapped me upside the face, open hand in the ear. I'll never forget. I can still feel it right now. And she said, I'm not your mom. She said, you're not my son. She said, and this is the last money we'll ever get. You don't come back. And I'll never forget on the, and when they dropped me off in that Greyhound bus station. My dad dropped me off. And my aunt that lived here, I was coming down to her so she could get me there uh, to Genesis. And he said, she said, don't give him any money. He, 
He gave me $40 anyway, and they packed me a lunch, and I'll never forget, it was pouring down rain, and I looked out the back of that bus as far as I could see. My dad was in the middle of a one-way street, looking at the bus, going down the street to make sure I would stay on it. So, I came here, and for two years, it's an eight-month program at Genesis, I graduated the eight months, October 12, 2008. But, and I stayed there for another 14 months after for a total of two years. And every day I was there. I would sit at the altar every day, first thing in the morning. And I would cry. And I would give it to God and surrender everything and say, God, just let me be the father to my two kids that you created me to be every day. Today I have custody of both of my two children. (laughs) I got custody of them about a year after I left Genesis and met my beautiful wife that's here today. (laughs) Praise be to God. And uh, it's been uh, an amazing adventure. You know, that surrender and walking through that pain, I unpacked it all. Why is there journals? I have a duffel bag still today in the attic. A duffel bag, no kidding, it's this big, of journals where I just poured my heart out to them. Mm-hmm. And I would try to listen and hear. And there was days where I thought, I was, am I crazy? Am I hearing them? Am I not hearing them? Mm-hmm. Is, he show, is he listening? Is he showing up? And as I looked back through those journals, I, could, I saw glimpses of where he was there. There. All the time. The whole time. And it gets clearer every day. As close, closer that I get to him, the clearer it gets how much he just unfolds and still unpacks to this day about how he was there. <laughs> and so today, you know, I have, it's, it's been 15 years that I've been clean off drugs. drugs. Praise God. 15 years. <laughs> I will follow that clap up with the fact that midway through there, I started drinking alcohol. You know, I started, you know, grilling out, having a beer. That was during COVID? During COVID. Well, before that, but during COVID, it got really, really bad. I got isolated in my own thoughts walking through all that pain, sitting out back, the drinking process had already taken place, and it was terrible. And it got to the point to where, you know, you hurt the ones that you love the most, yeah, that are around you that love you the most, unfortunately. it All of that festers out, and it just, it drives them away. And from an addict and alcoholic standpoint, that's not the goal. It's a very selfish, self-centered deal, although it doesn't look like it yeah. on the other side. And um, one day, it, is, it got so bad, 15 months ago, 17 months ago, March 3rd, um, yeah, it's been 17 months, March 3rd, that I haven't had a drink. Not a drop. Because the only person you lie to is yourself. Yeah. 
Praise God again. You know, that guilt, you give the devil that little drop and he runs it. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you, you learn that along the way. You can't establish that foot, let him establish that foothold. But it got so bad. Uh, my wife uh, wanted to take me to the hospital, to the emergency room. And, it, and I had had enough. She had had enough, more importantly, <laughs> and said, you're either going to go get right or this is over. And uh, I knew exactly where I needed to go. I said, I need to go to Genesis. I sat in a very spot for a few months. And I carried my sword with me. I've got it here today. My Bible, the spoken word of God. And I just found me a corner when I wasn't in classes and I would pour it out to him again. And he was there. He's a God of second chances. He he restored us. <laughs> but see, it, you you reach a point to where what's more important? Your relationship with God and the people that are around you that love you the most that you've caused that damage to, and then you've got to own it all. Yeah. You know, you have to own it um, and walk through it. So today, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so amazing what God has done in the last 17 months. He's restored our family, our, you know, our, our children. They wanted to call me. They want to be around me. My mom and dad, they, they, <laughs> they call me. They want to be around me. They call me sometimes for, for, for advice. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> the same mom that slapped me 15 years ago calls me and, and, and I get to pour in. There you go. I get to. I get to. See, that's the key. See, the selfishness and self-centeredness goes away. I get to. Because of him, I get to. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing where that lies and that freedom and that joy and that hope in his loving arms is how he just enfolds you and wraps you in his presence and his loving arms and to look back at the blessings and to see the blessings. I mean, see everything he's created and just the, the, the marriage that we have today, our relationship. Real better deal. than ever, <laughs> you know. Better than ever. Um, the people that I surround myself with, yeah. you know, the the people that get to, that speak into me. Even the Saturday group, I get I to mean, speak into them. Yeah, the Saturday group. Right. I love the Saturday group. <laughs> but but I mean, just the joy. I mean, even this morning, I'll I'll share this, and then and then I'll, I'll be done. Uh, so I'm on the way here, and I don't know if you guys know the, the. I have a Spotify. I was like, all right, let's listen to some praise music before we come in, before I go in. Um, so I'm looking for a song. I, first thing I pop it open, Scars by I Am They. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever heard it. It's a beautiful song. If you haven't, please give it a listen. Yeah. So it ends, and he's not done yet, right? <laughs> He took care of me on the way in. So afterwards, 10th Avenue North by your side comes on. <laughs> Automatically, didn't have to touch any of it. I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Looked straight up and was like, yeah, you are. I yeah, mean, you he are. took me to church this morning before I even got to church. <laughs> I was crying, laughing, praising God. People in cars probably, you know, they're probably like, this guy's nuts. 
What is this guy doing? You know, but here's the thing. Who really matters? What is, I mean, no offense to anybody, but he's the only one that really matters. Let him wrap you up, bringing it to him, drop it off. Amen. It's what he's there for. Amen. Amen. Y'all, um, Matt, thank you for sharing today. And um, his story's still being written. All of our stories are still being written. And um, if you heard Sylvia last week, you, you heard me say that she oozes joy. If you hang around this guy too long, you're going to realize he vomits up joy. I mean, the guy is just uber overflowing with the love of God and what God's done. I mean, a God of second chances, a God of restoration, a God that's overcome the rejection and the shame and just, this is an amazing man of God. And um, Matt, thank you for um, being open today. And uh, Thank him. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, Love you, God is good. And all the time. God is good. I, um, as we continue worship, I, I think it's very fitting um, to hear that Genesis was the place that Matt found the help he needed and the restoration that he so desired. And that's where I want to go today. I want to talk a little bit about shame, and, and I'll try to keep it brief, but I think it's important for us to hear this today as it relates to our continued journey in this season. And so, out of respect of God's Word and the hearing of God's Word, would you stand with me? Would you stand for a moment? And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, the very last verse, through the 10th verse of chapter 3. Hear God's Word for us this morning. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Almighty God, I thank you for how you've already met us in the time of worship this morning. And God, I thank you for the testimony that Matt has offered to each of us. God, I thank you for your word, the written word we have just read and the living word, your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray through the power presence of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak to each and every one of us as we continue to meditate this morning just briefly about what it means to walk shame-free, unashamed. Lord, have your way with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Eight short verses. Eight verses. 
Very short time in which we find Adam and Eve going from naked and unashamed to naked and in hiding. And the truth of the matter is shame has a way of doing that, right? Has a way of sending us into hiding. And, and I'm just going to pause for a minute. Whether you say naked or naked, both of them are exposed, right? So forgive me for however I pronounce it. But they were, went from naked and unashamed to naked and in hiding. You see, shame has a way of lingering well beyond the moment in which we've done something or something has happened to us. In fact, Dr. Siemens in his book, Wounds That Heal, a book that some of our small groups are, are reading through, he has this right. He says, shame growing out of deep-seated human hurts can wreak havoc in our lives and lies at the root of much self-destruction. Self-destructive behavior, that is. Lies at the root of much self-destructed behavior. Isn't that what we see Adam and Eve doing? They, they realize that they've been exposed for what they have done, and they seek to hide, and they seek to cover up, and they ultimately seek to pass blame. You see, shame is a dangerous thing. Shame is a hard thing for us to live with. In fact, the Bible speaks of it some 124 times in the Old Testament alone. So obviously, Adam and Eve aren't the only ones that experience shame. Nor are we. We're not alone in experiencing shame. But exactly what is shame? And this is what I want to drive home this morning. It's just a few things about shame. The first thing is this, is that shame is different from guilt. Hear me. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt has to do with our behavior, what we've done. Shame has to do with how we internalize that and we make that or allow that to become a sense of identity in who we are. Let me give you an example. I, I got a speeding ticket. I'm confessing. I'm full confession here. I got a speeding ticket on my way to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A was calling my name. I was going up Old Rope Mill Road up to the outlets. And uh, there's cameras apparently by the elementary school. And I didn't notice how fast I was going until I got a love note in the mail that said I was going over the speed limit. And there was a bill. And, and, and so I was guilty of breaking the law. And I was able to make that right by paying a fine. But the shame came in when I recognized that my good citizen reputation was compromised. What I wanted people to see me as, as well as going home and telling my wife that $7 chicken sandwich really cost like $50 with a ticket. You know, not a good thing. But shame is different than guilt. Guilt is about behavior. Shame is how we internalize that about our identity. But there's something else you need to know about shame is that not all shame is bad. There actually is a way in which shame can serve us in a good way. Dr. Siemens talks to this again in his book. He writes, Our capacity for shame is God-given and reflects the glory bestowed on us by our Creator. Only noble beings who can discriminate between good and evil and show respect for God, others and themselves can feel shame. You see, shame can serve as a barometer, if you will, a, a sense that where we've crossed the line, where we've gone the wrong direction, and in that moment, we have the option of turning around and actually owning up to it, right? And getting back on the right course, going down a course that, that's in our best interest, a course that God would have us to go. But what we see with Adam and Eve is they didn't use that as a barometer. They didn't allow the Holy Spirit to convict them to turn back to God, because had they done that, I can't help but think that their, reputa- their reputation with God, their broken trust, might have been mended more quickly. What we see them doing is allowing shame to be internalized. They begin to give up their identity as, as being the sons and daughters of God, and they gave in to a sense of identity of what they had done, that they were flawed, that they were unworthy, and it spiraled out of control. 
They sought to cover up. They sought to sow fig leaves around them. And then they went to, into seeking to hide. And ultimately, as I mentioned earlier, seeking to pass the blame. And the result of this was an even broader gulf between them and God. And not only God, but each other. They drove a wedge between one another too. And this is the destructive path that shame can take. Because at the core of shame is our sense and fear of self-exposure. You see, Adam and Eve, having their eyes open, knew that they were naked. And I'm not talking about physically naked. I'm talking about the, their morals and the, and the compromising a covenant and, a, and the guidelines. They were exposed. You see, shame painfully exposes our nakedness, our ugliness, our foolishness, our shortcomings. And out of fear of others taking notice, well, we go like Adam and Eve do and we try to cover up, don't we? We do. And shame can also end up being in a place that becomes toxic to us. I love the way that that Dr. Siemens brings in another author, John Bradshaw, and John writes this. He says, toxic shame is no longer an emotion that signals our limits. That would be good shame. It is a state of being, a core identity. Toxic shame gives you a sense of worthlessness, a sense of failing and falling as a human being. Some of us know what that's like, don't we? We walk in that. And it's this kind of shame that fuels addictive behaviors, whether it be drugs or work or food or sex or scrolling social media, whatever it is that we can find an escape, find a relief, find a sense of acceptance because self-exposure is too painful and too much to bear. We give into that and we spiral out of control. And the truth of the matter is, is some of us know what that's like and it can happen out of what we have done or failed to do, but it can equally happen out of having felt the shame of what has happened to us, the the victimization that we have experienced because of someone else's sinfulness, someone else's selfishness. That's Matt's story. Those kids making fun of him in the braces, family not supporting him in that, another teenager taking advantage of him in a horrific way. None of that was Matt's invitation. No, that was Matt's choice. And yet the shame of that compounded his own journey toward healing. But if you heard his story, if you heard his story, it doesn't have to end there. It does not have to end there. You see, here's the other thing about shame. It exposes our false gods. You see, so often we bow down to false gods. But they're impotent and they're incapable of delivering on their false promises. You see, in Adam and Eve, they capitulated. They, rather, they heard that they would be like God, right? They, they, they exchanged being with God to be like God. But what they really were bowing down to was this promise of wisdom and immortality. And, and they allowed pride to get in the way. And what happened? None of those things. Death came first in a relationship and then in their mortal bodies. Wisdom they didn't choose to follow that wisdom that they had. And the truth of the matter is, is the same thing happens to us. You see, we have false gods too, don't we? How many of us are control freaks? OCD, perfectionists? Got a few in here? I, I, can I raise my hand on that one? Some of us bow down to approval, power, freedom. What is it that you bow down to? Because the truth of the matter is that sometimes when those get exposed, we realize that they put us to shame 
when they fail to deliver, don't they? Don't they? Some of us may be there this morning. And if that's you, i got great news for you. You heard it in Matt's testimony. God sees you. God hears you. God wants to heal you. Let me put it short. Fig leaves can't do what God can do. You hear me, church? Fig leaves won't do what God can do. Our, our sense of trying to cover up, to hide, to, to put on the, the, the nice face that everything is okay when it's really not on the inside. Well, they can wear you slap out. It's fig leaves, and they won't do what God can do. And the beautiful thing when you read in this story of Adam and Eve is that God doesn't shame them. God doesn't condemn them. What do we find God doing a little later in chapter 3? He covers them. He covers them. You see, he knew that those fig leaves won't do, and so he covered them in a skin, the skin of an animal. It's the first blood that was shed in Scripture. God provided for them. Yes, they had to live with their consequences. They had to live with their consequences. We all often have consequences from the choices that we make. But God provided. And here's the news I have to offer you today. God offers to do the same for you and me. He offers to cover us. He offers to exchange our shame for a sense of freedom. A freedom that we're incapable of, of creating for ourselves. How? The cross of Christ. The blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. When you look to the cross of Christ and you look at what he did on the cross, what did he do? He shed his blood to cover our shame, to cover our guilt, to cover our sinfulness, to cover our selfishness. In other words, to set us free, to take those upon himself and to give his life so that we might have life and life abundantly. Praise be to God for what God offers to do that fig leaves cannot do. And sending his one and only son into the world. You know, he reminds us in John three seventeen, he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world. And I don't know about you, but I need a little bit of saving. How about you? I think we all do. You see, that's the beauty of the cross, is that when we look to Christ... When we begin to look at what he did upon the cross, when we look into the eyes, we recognize that God didn't just come looking for Adam and Eve. God's come looking for each and every one of us. God in flesh, God incarnate, Jesus Christ has come looking for you, looking for me, and to save us, not to condemn us, to save us from our shame, to free us from our sinfulness. And the thing is, is that Jesus knows what shame is like because he's lived it. You see, when you look to the cross, you also see the most humiliating, shameful way one person could die in that day. You know, if you were sentenced to death and you were a Roman soldier, you got a pass, not on the execution, but how it was carried out. You would be beheaded. Instantly, it was over. But if you were the lowest of low, if you were a criminal, if you were an outcast, if you were one of those that they wanted to make a spectacle of... You were drug up on a hill, you were stripped of your clothes, you were beaten, you were stripped of your dignity, and you were left to hang and to die the most excruciating way with public shaming you all along the way. This is what Jesus experienced. 
And if you've ever looked at a cross with Jesus on it, you often see a loincloth on him. I got news for you, there was no loincloth. We see in Scripture that they were basically casting lots at his feet to see who would get his garments. Jesus knows shame. He not only knows shame, he offers to take your shame. If you're willing to give it to him. If you're willing to offer it to him. You know, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, reminds us. Chapter 11, there's a whole litany of the faithful. And I like to say it's not only the litany of the faithful, but also the flawed. Because the truth of the matter is, is all of us are flawed, but all of us can live into a faithful life. And that's what we see in the litany of chapter 11. But when you come to chapter 12, the writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything. Those fig leaves. Those ways in which you're trying to cover up. They're hindering you. They're hindering me. And he goes on to say, In the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Get this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scorning its shame. You see, Jesus shamed shame for us. We don't have to carry it. We can give it to Jesus. We can allow him to take it because that's what he offered when he came to the cross. And to restore our sense of identity, our sense of worth, our sense of value. It's found in a relationship with God and God alone. I love the way that Matt keeps pointing us back to that in his testimony this morning. You see, when we begin to face and put our eyes upon Jesus upon the cross and realize the depth of how much he loves you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what's been done to you, you are loved beyond measure by God. Well, then you begin to be willing to maybe start letting go of those fig leaves, something in which you attempt to cover up and allow God to wrap you with his arms and to love you. You see, there's no condemnation in Jesus, is there? And there's no shame either. I love the way that Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says in chapter 10, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then this, get this church. And as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You'll never be put to shame. So as we close in this meditation this morning, I just want to ask you, how many of you are tired this morning of trying to cover up? How many of you are trying, how many of you are just weary of hiding in the shadows? How many of you are exhausted by trying to put on pretenses? Those fig leaves can't do what God can do. Is there shame that you need to lay down today and allow Jesus to embrace you? Because in the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, any of those that are tired, burdened, his simple invitation is this. Come to him. Come to Jesus. I'm going to invite the praise team to work their way up and to play music and lead us in our closing song. I know we're getting a little long. I want to honor our time, but I don't want to rush things either. 
Because some of us are carrying fig leaves today that are too heavy for us to carry. And we need to lay them down. And so as they play, I'm going to invite you, the prayer rail is open. Or find someone beside you that might be willing to pray with you. Just, they don't have to know what's going on, but if you want to invite them to pray with you, just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, would you pray for me? But let's not miss this moment. Let's recognize that shame has no place in the life in our life. Not the bad kind anyway. Jesus took it to the cross for you and me. Amen? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the testimony and I thank you for your word that when we seek to cover up, when we seek to hide, when we seek to pass blame, you came anyway. And you come for each of us. You come for all of us. You came to lay your life down for each and every one of us. You know what it's like to experience shame. And Lord, I know that there are so many here who are walking with shame that is weighing them down that you would not have them carry, but that you offer to carry for them and for me. So God, I invite your Holy Spirit to move in this moment. Would you unshackle us from the shame? Would you nudge us to to hand it over to you? Not so much about telling another person right now, but maybe it's just handing it over to you and acknowledging we need help knowing that you're the only true source of that help. And you're the only one that can fill the deepest longing of our hearts. So have your way with us as we continue to worship here today. It's in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.